Well, in case you're a guest with us this morning, this is not my normal Sunday attire, but um, I am my wife's best Christmas present ever, so um, she does get that privilege. But we are glad that you are here with us this morning as we continue our series entitled Best Christmas Sweater Ever, Best Ugly Christmas Sweater. And uh, Tim got us started last week, and just to remind you what Tim wore last week, it's going to come up here on the screen. Um, There we go. There's Tim from last week, so... uh, and uh, he told me afterwards, he said, uh, now I don't understand what it feels like for a woman to be pregnant. I was navigating around that reindeer thing the whole time in the whole service, you know. Um, but next week, in honor of National Ugly Christmas Sweater Day, we're actually going to have an ugly Christmas sweater contest right here in the service. So pull out your ugliest Christmas sweater you can make, borrow, um, beg, steal, whatever, and we're actually going to have a prize that will be very valuable for those of you at Christmas time to the person that we decide has the ugliest Christmas sweater. So um, we encourage you, I will not be the only one wearing one next week, so bring yours out and uh, join us next week for that. So you may be asking yourself, so why the ugly Christmas sweater? Why the ugly Christmas sweater? Well, each year we are given gifts that we really don't want, um, or we're not sure what to do with it. Maybe it's something that you got at a white elephant contest, and you're like, what do I do with this other than store it in the closet for next year's white elephant contest? That's the only thing you know what to do with. Maybe it's a duplicate of something you already own, your 25th pair of black socks you know, that you got. Don't need another one of those. Maybe it's something you have no idea what it was. You know? You're wondering, man, they were watching QVC late at night when they bought this thing for me. I have no idea what that thing is. Um, maybe it's something you really don't want. And if you don't have a lot of guilt, you'll take it to Goodwill the next week. If you have a lot of guilt, you'll leave it in your closet for a year, and then you'll take it to Goodwill is what you do with it. You know. So we all have these things that are given to us, and we just aren't sure, what do I do with them? What do I do with them? And Tim got us starting last week talking about the, the gift of relationships, and what do we do with relationships that are given to us that sometimes we're not quite sure how to navigate through them. And if you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to his message as he really challenged us about these relationships that God places into our lives. And and we have a choice. We can either face it or we can fake it with those relationships. And if we face them, we get a chance to discover the amazing journey that God has, his story that he's writing through the people that he's bringing into our lives. But the truth about most of the gifts is as much as they might be something we want, Are the gifts that we receive something that we need? Something that we truly need? And I think most of us would say, well, want, yes, need, probably not. But what if someone could offer you a gift today that you really need? Um, What if someone could offer you a gift that would help you grow closer to God? What if someone could offer you a gift that would help you grow deeper in your relationships? What if someone could offer you a gift that would make a big difference in the way you live your life every day? Unfortunately for most people, the gift that we're going to talk about today, in spite of the fact that it might be something that you acknowledge I need, most of us don't want it and don't want anything to do with it. But the gift that we're going to talk about today is the gift of messiness. The gift of messiness. If you think about messiness, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You think about our relationships. Does this gift show up in our relationships? Yes, relationships are messy. Does this gift show up in our finances? Well, some of you will discover that in about a month when you take all your finances to the account and they're like, this is a mess, you know, it'll show up there. How about at work? Does work get a little messy? At times it absolutely does. 
How about in our small groups? Are small groups messy? What we're going to discover is if they're a good small group, they actually are kind of messy. That's what we're going to discover this morning. How about does this gift show up with your kids? Or is having kids messy? Can I, anybody hands for that? Yeah, a few hands for that. You know, having kids uh, can be messy. Um, how about in our marriages, the people that we're supposed to be closest to, does that get messy at times? It absolutely does. How about with God? Does life sometimes get messy when God enters the picture? You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes we tell people that life will get better when God enters the picture. But the truth is, when God enters the picture and we start to encounter God and and get to know God and He gets to know us, it gets pretty messy with God as well. And so when we hear this word messiness, we often go to physical things. And, and I don't like things being messy. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, you know, my desk usually looks something like that. You know, everything's kind of in its place. It's in this spot. It's supposed to be where it goes. You know, when I leave my car, I take everything out of my car that I took into my car. It doesn't take three or four weeks or three or four months for things to come out of my car. You know, I have a bad habit when I get into some one of my family members' cars and they're like, oh, all this paper and junk and you know, soda bottles and cans and no names mentioned there. I just kind of take it all and, you know, so I am a little bit of a neat freak when it comes to that. Um, and um, so how many of you, if you could eliminate messiness, that would be a good thing. Let me see your hands. How many of you could eliminate messiness? The rest of you, you just live life like it is and just enjoy it. You know, the rest of you do. But the truth is, when we think about this issue of messiness, most of us probably don't think about our faith journey. Probably don't think about our faith journey. We may think about our kids' bedroom or this struggle in life, but we don't think about us and God um, when it comes to that. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about following Jesus being messy? Have you ever thought about following Jesus being messy? Have you ever uh, made a promise or a commitment to God and you weren't able to do what you said you wanted to do? Maybe you're listening to a message and it kind of challenged you about a relationship. You're like, I know that relationship is not bad for me. I really need to end this. I need to move on. And and you are committed to that until you see that person's smiling face. You're like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, maybe a couple weeks ago when JR was here and we were talking about the the pornography issue and you said, God, I really want to change this area of my life. I don't want this to be part of my life journey. And then a week later that fell apart. Maybe God challenged you about your spending habits. And you're like, I'm going to stick to my budget this year. And you are firm in doing that until someone bought you a Christmas present that you weren't expecting. And now you feel obligated to buy them one. And there goes the budget. I think all of us can empathize with the reality that sometimes our well-intentioned efforts don't produce a lot of change. Paul certainly understood this. Look at some of the verses that are going to come up on the screen where he talks about this. He says, I don't understand what I do. He said, I can't make sense out of it. For for what I want to do, I can't do it. But what I hate, that's what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I who do it, but it's something inside of me that makes me do it. For I know that the good does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. I have a desire to do what's good. I want to do the good. I can't make it happen. For I, don't want to do, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil, I don't want to do that. This I keep on doing. And the truth is, 
If you listen to what Paul says there, most of us can relate, if not all of us. Are there things in our lives that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing? Yes. Are there things in our lives that we we do want to do and we struggle to make those things happen? Yes. 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 The truth is the Bible is full of messy people. God did not choose to edit out the flaws of people of faith. Instead, He did the exact opposite. He put them on full display for us to see them. We want to edit them out because we want to put people up on a pedestal and say, they're really good, and then if I can be as good as they are, then I feel better about myself. When I was a little kid and I would go to church, we had this, um, we would go into a class called Sunday School, and in Sunday School they would, they would uh, tell us stories about the Bible, and they would tell us these stories with flannel graph, and flannel graph is basically a big sheet of felt and another picture of felt stuck together. That's what flannel graph is, and and they would tell us the story about Noah. And Noah was this guy that, you know, he built this big, huge boat. And it never rained, you know. And, uh, um, and it never rained. But he heard God. God said, build this boat. So he went and he built the boat. And then he got his whole family on the boat. And God got all the animals on the boat. And they all got rescued and they all got saved. And all the bad and wickedness got washed away. And, and it's a great story. and It's a wonderful story. But they didn't tell me the rest of the story. And so when I opened my Bible, as I got a little older and started reading the story of Noah, I found out that after Noah got after the, out of the boat, that somehow Noah found grapes and made wine and got hammered. The dude got drunk and all get out. And then he was buck naked and then he was run, showed himself to his own kids. And I'm like, that did not show up on the flannel graph, you know. No naked Noah on the flannel graph. Never heard about that. And, and you can take Noah, you can take any of these guys in the Old Testament. We get the good parts of them, the nice parts of them, the parts that look good on the flannel graph. We don't get all the bad stuff, all the messy stuff, all the, oh my goodness, I can't believe that story's there stuff. But the truth is, it is. It is. And when we read those things, we realize, wow, everybody's got struggles. Everybody's got messiness. And in those moments, it kind of comforts my heart and gives me the sense that, wow, if, if God can work in them and God can do these amazing things with these individuals, it gives me a little more confidence that God can do something with me in my life and my struggles. And when we talk about this issue of spiritual messiness, what I'm not suggesting is that God condones or agrees with sin in our lives. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that when we acknowledge the sin in our lives, when we acknowledge the struggle, when we acknowledge the messiness, God can step in and do something with the messiness, and that's called redemption. And that's what God's really, really good at. He's really good at taking the messiness, taking the junk, taking the mistakes, the sin in our lives, and transforming those things. And this messiness leads to what the Bible calls is really holiness, being like Jesus. You see, our messiness is God's workshop for genuine, authentic heart change. Let me say that again. Our messiness is God's workshop for genuine, authentic heart change. And this is really remarkable. That God can take people that are self-absorbed, that just want to live for themselves, and somehow do something with all of that stuff and make something out of that more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Messiness is really a big theological word, sanctification. 
which is really the process if you're a follower of Jesus from the time you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, to you leave this earth and go to heaven, that he makes you more like Jesus. That's really what it is. It's God saying to you, I love you so much that I'm going to stay involved in your life. I've set you apart, and I'm going to do something in you. And in that process of doing something, I'm going to allow you to make some bad choices and bad decisions, and you're going to struggle. But in the midst of all of that, I'm never going to leave you alone, and I love you so much that I'm going to allow these awful bad things in your life to come to light so that I can transform them and change them into something amazing that's more like Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. He says there's this change process happening. We're being transformed. And we're being transformed to be more like Jesus with this ever-increasing sense of glory. I don't feel very glorious in my life a lot of times. And it's God who's doing that in us. You know, sometimes I have people say to me, when I say, hey, have you thought about joining a group? Or I say, have you thought about taking this next step of being baptized? Or, or we'd love to have you be all in and join our church. They're like, no, I've got I to gotta take care of some things. I've got to get some things fixed up in my life. And, and when I get these things fixed up and taken care of, then I'll be ready to do that. It reminded me of uh, a few years ago, someone had given us a gift to have our house cleaned by a professional cleaning company. And um, I thought when you got your house cleaned, it was kind of like when you got your car cleaned. And so, you know, in the wintertime, I kind of wait to run my car through the, you know, through the car wash until it, if it's a black car, until it looks kind of white. You know, it's got all the salt and all this, everything on it. It looks just awful. And then I take it through the car wash. It comes out looking beautiful. I thought that's what you did when you had your house cleaned by a professional house cleaner. So we have the day coming, and we're, we're getting ready for them to come, and my wife's like, well, you've got to clean this up. I'm like, what do you mean clean this up? She's like, you've got to put this away. You've got to take care of this. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why are we cleaning the house when we're paying someone? We have this gift of someone coming to clean the house. She's like, no, you've got to clean it up before they come. I'm like, I don't understand this picture. Please help me. And some of you are laughing like you know what this picture is, or you would do this, or some of you do it every week, you know. Um, but that's what we do with our lives. We have to get it in a certain condition, get it to a certain place, and when it's a certain place, a certain condition, then we'll offer it to God. Then we'll take that next step. Then we'll do what God wants us to do. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not really how it works. I don't need you to get everything fixed up. I don't need you to get everything looking nice. He said, you just come to me when everything is a mess. You just come to me when you have no idea what to do. You just come to me then. And that's when... I love to be engaged in your life. You know, as I thought about this, I thought there's a couple of unhealthy responses to messiness, and I want to talk about those before we look at some healthy responses. But um, unhealthy responses to messiness, one of the first ones is that we hide. That we hide. And this starts way back in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. First book in the Bible there, just go right to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, it's just come out of the story of the creation of the world, of Adam and Eve being created, and um, the world is a little bit like Christmas morning. That's what the world is like. 
You know, Christmas morning, the house has been all clean. Christmas morning, the tree is all decorated. Christmas morning, the, the presents are underneath the tree. Christmas morning, there's some food cooking in the, you know, in the kitchen, kind of the smells wafting through the house. That's, a, that's what Genesis, the end of Genesis 2 is a little bit like. Everything's just right. It's all just right. And then in Genesis chapter 3 is when the serpent shows up. And the serpent offered Eve some fruit from the tree or encouraged her to take some fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says, take this fruit. And in case you want to throw Eve under the bus, Adam was right there next to her, ignoring his responsibility to take care of her and protect her and be present there with her. And um, so she takes the fruit, she eats it, she gives it to her husband, he eats it, And then look at their response in verse 8. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. What had they done? Well, as soon as they ate, the Bible says that their eyes were open, and they saw things in ways they had never seen things before. They instantly covered themselves. They hid themselves physically. Why did they hide themselves physically? They did that because of a sense of shame, and that's what sin produces. Sin produces shame. When I do something wrong and I feel badly, that's the shame that we feel. Um, But then look what they did in verse 10. It says, the Lord God called, verse 9, called to the man and said, where are you? In verse 10, he answered and says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so they didn't physically cover themselves up. Now they're hiding from God. There's a spiritual cover-up going on. And the spiritual cover-up is because of a sense of fear. They're afraid of a God who just made this beautiful world, just gave them everything that they wanted, just gave to the man a woman that met all of his needs, and now they're afraid. Kind of leaves you scratching your head a little bit, doesn't it? Why the fear? Why the fear? Um, But they were hiding because of their sin. That's where they were hiding. And I I thought about the reasons that we hide. I thought we hide for some of the same reasons, um, maybe some different ones. And I think one of the reasons that we hide is we assume that no one can see my messiness. We assume that no one can see my messiness. And the truth is, everybody can see it. Everybody can see it. How many parents in this room have ever had this experience where you're, you're watching your kids do something they're not supposed to be doing and they don't know you can see them? How many parents have had that experience? All of us, right? right? How many of you have watched your spouse doing something they're not supposed to be doing and, and you know it, but they don't know you're watching them, right? No, no, don't raise your hands. We don't want a conflict in the service. But... How about with a friend? You ever seen a friend? They're like, I can't believe they're doing that again. You know? They're like, what, 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 you know? But you know, right? You know. You know. See, most of us think that our lives are like this Rubik's Cube. We want everybody to think our lives are like this Rubik's Cube, where all the greens are all together, all the whites and the oranges, you know, the yellow, the blue, kind of have it all together. No messiness here, right? This is nice, right? This is nice. We like this. We like this, especially in church. We like to look like this in church. You know, but the truth is, for most of us, you know, our lives are a little bit like this, you know, and, and there's a little messiness, and we just kind of cover that up. We don't want you to see that part, you know, we, but there's some stuff that's not, you know, that's, oh, we don't, we're certainly not going to let you see that part of it, 
you know. But the truth is, someone over, they can see it, right? They can see those things. And even though we try to hide it, we try to cover it up, they can see some things that really are a bit on the messy side. But the reality is, is when we're honest about our messiness, then others can step in and make a difference. But the longer we hide it, the harder it is to keep up that charade, isn't it? One of the things that I enjoy doing is playing golf. And um, um, it's just kind of a, a hobby for me, a social thing. I'm not real good at it, but I do enjoy it. And every once in a while, they, you know, someone needs a fourth player on a team for a tournament or something, there, they'll give me an invitation. You know, Oh, we need somebody else. Oh, so go invite John. Invite the pastor to come. You know, So he doesn't have to do anything all week anyway. So just invite him to come. He's got plenty of time. Um, and so I come, and often, the, you know, and I, I usually hope that I'm not the first guy to hit the ball. I hope that I'm not the first guy. So the first guy comes up, he swings, you know, takes a swing, 300 yards right down the center of the fairway, looks great, could be on TV, you know, and, and then the next guy right after him, you know, 250, 270, and I get up there and I'm like, okay, Lord, either I'm going to hit a nice shot or it's going to be a disaster. What's it going to be this time? I really never know. I have no idea when I get up there to swing. I don't. And so every once in a while, I'll get up there, and I'll swing away, and right down the fairway, and it looks great, and I'm like, oh, that was great, but oh, this is going to be torture, because soon I'm going to be exposed. I'm going to be exposed, because on one of the next couple of tees, I'm either not going to get it past the women's tee, which is about 35 yards out there, or I'm going to hook it to two fairways over, I'll see you later, guys, I've got to go retrieve my ball. That's what's going to happen on one of the next two or three tees. So now I've got to try to put up this charade until that happens or if i'm at the first tee and i just shank it badly and I, and 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 we all, and i laugh so they laugh because they don't want to laugh at me even though i have to laugh first you know so i don't feel bad about myself but then the next one i'm going to say hey can you help me they're like sure we'd be glad to help you you need a lot of that you know um, but if i try to hide it and i assume no one can see it i'm never going to really do anything about it Never going to do anything about it. Another assumption is that I'm the only one dealing with this messy one, messiness and everyone else has cleaned up their mess. That's another assumption we have. I'm the only one. Everybody else has got it taken care of. We just assume that everybody's looking like this. That's what you guys all look like when you come in on Sunday mornings, right? You know, you all look like this. You know, um, We don't want anybody to... We just assume everybody's not like me, that I've got to kind of cover that up and keep turning so you don't see the other sides of me, right? Now, let me ask, in this room, how many of you have ever um, taken one of these without taking the stickers off and made it look like this? How many of you? Okay, we only got two in this whole room that I can see. We had about a dozen in the first service. So if you come in here assuming everybody knows how to go from this to this, you're going to be what? Pretty deceived, right? But if you come in here assuming most of us have no clue how to turn it into this, you'd be in good company, wouldn't you? You'd be in good company. But that's not what we do. That's not what we do. We assume that everyone else is dealing with messiness and has cleaned it all up. The truth is, if I'm honest about my struggles and I don't try to hide, the likelihood of me dealing with messiness and my struggles really goes up. Another thing that we do is we put on masks. We put on masks, and, and our masks are when you come in the morning and you say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm okay, you know, and you're just dying inside. You're dying inside, and you're like, listen, they don't want to hear all my stuff, and the truth is we don't want to hear all your stuff every time, but it's certainly okay to say I'm having a bad day, or it's kind of hard right now. 
Because the truth is, when you're dealing with your messiness, sometimes we're okay dealing with it, and sometimes we're not. And sometimes we don't know what day it's going to be, right? Same way with grief. When you're dealing with grief, you're grieving a loss, you don't know whether you're going to be okay that day or whether you're just going to be barely surviving. And so when we put on this mask, we hide, we're not honest, nobody knows about it. You know, after the service last week, when Tim really spoke into this issue of relationships and the struggle with relationships, I was standing out in the lobby and a couple of you came out and, and some of you had tears in your eyes. And I just came up to you and said, that was really tough for you, wasn't it? They said, yeah, it was really hard. I just kind of put my arm around you and you said, and, they, and then, and then you, you were kind of wiping your face and you're like, but, but I'm okay, I'm okay. And I'm like, no, you're not okay. And it's okay to not be okay, especially here, especially here. And we have to get to the place in our journey, in our faith, in our walk with God, in our relationships with others, to, for it to be okay to not be okay. And to be honest with others and say, hey, it's just really hard right now, and to say, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, is there something you want me to pray for about? Yeah, just... Just keep me in your thoughts and prayers today, you know. So just keep me in your thoughts and prayers. Um, another thing that we do is we not only hide it, but the second thing that we do is we handle it ourselves. We handle it ourselves. And this is one that we do around here in Lancaster County a lot. We handle it ourselves. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 said this. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What Paul doesn't say is he doesn't say, I want you to take on other people's burdens, but I want you to carry them. You know, sometimes we say, you know, John, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to deal with all their stuff. I, I, don't, I don't have the capacity for that. God hasn't asked you to take it on yourself. He said, I want you to, to shoulder it with them so they don't have to carry it all. All the weight is not on their shoulders. We have a saying around here that we share with one another, and that's this. If you care more about someone's problems than they do, you are carrying too much of their burden. If you care too much, if you care more about someone's problems than they do, you're carrying too much of the... You just took their burden and you put it on your back and you said, I'll take this for you. And God says, that's not what I want you to do. He says, I want you to share it and carry it with others. You say, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Well, the biggest reason that we don't do it is because of our own pride. Because we want to look like this. We want to look like this. And so we don't tell anybody about our struggles because we want to make sure that we look like this. Jesus said some strong words to the religious leaders in Matthew 23, verse uh, 27. Let's go to the next one, verse 27. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees and hypocrites. You look like whitewashed tombs. Look, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're just full of bones of the dead. That's what Jesus said. That's what he says. When you hide your messiness, when you handle your messiness on your own, you discourage other people because the truth is, if we are honest, we all have messiness that we are dealing with in our lives. And God says, I want you to bring this to one another. I want you to walk through life with this with one another. James 5, 7, 16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
What happens when you come clean with your struggles is God begins to open the door for you to take a step forward in your journey. Opens the door for you to take a step forward in your journey. Sin grows in the dark. Messiness gets worse in the dark. When you bring it to the light of relationships, when you bring it to the light of God's Word, when you bring it to the light of other people, it slowly is exposed and it starts to lose its power and lose its strength. I wish we could wrap our minds around this. I wish we could wrap our minds around this. This doesn't say you have to confess all your sins to me or to Johnny or to Tim. We'll certainly listen to you if you want to come talk to us. But I think what James is encouraging here is he's encouraging you to do that with people who are close to you. With a couple people that are close in your life, that are people of faith, that are people that will listen to your struggle and will not say, why haven't you fixed all your problems? But will listen to your struggle and say, that sounds really hard. Thanks for not hiding that when you talk to me. So when you hide your messiness, when you handle your messiness on your own, you discourage others, and you're really not going to grow in ways God wants you to grow. Say, but John, I'm a private person. I keep things to myself. That's a good thing. Some people need to talk about it less. Some people need to talk about it more. Whatever your bent is, if you talk too much, rein it in. If you don't talk at all, you've got to let it out. You've got to let it out. So if those are some unhealthy ways to hide it or to handle it ourselves, what are some healthy ways to handle our messiness? Here's the first one. Thank God that you are under construction. Thank God that you are under construction. Now, how many of you, when you're driving on the highway, like when traffic screeches to a halt and you merge and this road is under construction? How many of you just love construction zones? I don't see any hands up there. I don't see any hands up there. How many of you really enjoy when you're on the internet and you're going shopping and you're, you, know what, you know where the site is, somebody told you the link, maybe a, someone gave you, they said, go to this link and this is what I want, and you go to that link and it says, site under construction. How many of you just love when that interrupts your day and you have that plan? None of us do, right? None of us do. None of us do. But if messiness is where God does his greatest work, I'm not sure God wants us to clean it all up. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like that. I don't like that. Because I want messiness to be done. I want, it to be, I want it to be done in my life. I want it to be done in my kids' lives, in my wife's life, in, my, you know, in your lives, in my friends. I want it to be done. I do not think about this. I pray that they'll get through it. I pray that God will give them the strength. I pray that God will give them the wisdom. I pray, God, when is this going to be over? You know. I just, I don't do this. I don't do this. But the truth is, in God's economy, He's always at work on us. He's always at work. And the truth is, we make mistakes. We mess up. God doesn't have a three strikes and you're out rule. Thank goodness, right? Right? God blesses us with time. He blesses us with forgiveness. He blesses us with hope. He blesses us with healing. He blesses us with all of these things. Because God has this blueprint 
of what He's doing in us. If I heard it once, I heard it probably a dozen times. Guys who are working on this construction project, when we were renovating our space here, would say to me, what's it going to be like? And I would say to them, I have no idea, but Randy's got a picture in his head. That's all I know, and I'm trusting Randy. And, and afterwards, you would say to me, how did he have this picture in his head of how it would look? I said, I have no idea. I'm not wired that way. Not wired that way. But he knew we had to do this, and then we had to do this, and we had to do this, and we had to do this, and we're like, why are we doing this? I don't know, Randy says, we've got to do it. So we, we would do this, and we do this, and, and then we end up in this. I'm like, how did that happen? We don't quite really know, but it did. Why? Because he had in his mind a picture what that was going to become. And that's what God has for us. And that's what God, how God sees us. You see, God is in heaven and he, and he looks at us and He doesn't see all the messiness in our lives. That's not what God sees. When God looks at us, He sees us because He looks at us through the person of Jesus. He sees us no longer under construction. He sees us the way we were made to be. And He says, wow, to get them from here to there, I've got to do some work here. I've got to do some work. And, you know, to do some work, it's going to require that uh, things get turned around a little bit, you know? And sometimes when things get turned around a little bit, it, it has to change the picture. And it doesn't always look really good when you have to keep changing the picture. But eventually, if you turn things around a little bit, the picture will get changed. And sometimes you even have to change the whole picture a whole lot more, and it has to keep getting changed and keep getting changed and keep getting changed. And you're like, oh, wow, that's a little closer to the picture. It's a little closer. But you've got to mess it up before it gets a little bit closer to being like this, like this. And so I'm pretty confident that I've asked all of you, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I'm pretty confident if I ask you to take those communication cards and write, this is a part of my life that's messy. I think all of us could write something. And so this day and this week, part of a healthy response to that, is say, God, I, this is really hard because I want this done, but I'm thankful that you're doing it in me. I'm thankful that you're doing this in me. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that um, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. That's that picture that God has in heaven. But we haven't experienced it yet. The old is gone. The new is here. And hopefully as that new happens, we'll get a little newer and a little newer. But it's never going to fully be finished while we're here. Here's the second one. Number two, trust God in your incompleteness. Trust God in your incompleteness. Paul says this in Philippians 1.6, a favorite verse of mine. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, God started it when you said, I want to follow Jesus. That's when it began. He's going to keep doing it until you get to meet Jesus. That's how long this construction project is going to go on. And again, I do not like things going on like this. I like to draw a line even on my computer you know, through the list, it's done. Or delete it. The list is shorter. I like to do those things. But in God's eyes, 
you're a work in progress, and so am I. So am I. You can hide, but you're still a mess. You can try to handle it yourself, but you're still a mess. So you can trust God and rely on God is doing something in you and lean into that process. You say, John, what does it mean to lean in that process? It means whatever the next step is that God wants you to take, you're willing to trust Him and take that next step. We're going to talk next month, in the month of January, a lot about this issue of trusting God. Most of us like to rely on what we can see, having clarity about what the next step is. We want to know, what do I do? What's it going to be? And God says, you're just going to have to trust me on this. You're like, God, but if I go into that, you know, what's, you know how they respond. You know what's going to, it's going to blow up. It's going to... God says, will you trust me? Even if it's a mess, I'm still there. God's saying, I want you to take this step with your finances. I want you to put me first in this. You're like, but God, you don't know, understand. They're going to still come knocking at the end of the month. And it's like, will you trust me? Trust me. God says, I want you to make this change in, in your career and redirect it. And you're like, God, I don't know. What's he going to think? What's she going to think? And you're like, God says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? It's hard to take our hands off. And accept the reality that God is going to do something. But this is what God loves to do. He loves to do it in our lives and He loves to do it in faith communities. 1 Corinthians was a letter that Paul wrote um, after he had been to the city of Corinth and he started talking about Jesus and some people chose to follow Jesus and they organized together in a little church community. And then he began to write letters back to this church. And as he wrote letters back to this church, he wrote to this church about all kinds of struggles, all kinds of messiness. There was incest going on in this church. There was lawsuits happening. There was divorce everywhere. There was idol worship. There was inflated egos. There was arguments about a belief system. There was sexual sin taking place. They, people were getting drunk during communion. All of this was happening. Imagine that church's marketing slogan. Come visit our church. We're a mess and you are too. You know. But that's what God says. And he says, I want you to recognize that you're not going to be complete this side of heaven. When Jesus hung on that cross, he sent 11 men that he chose. Some of them fishermen, most of them uneducated, in charge of spreading this message about Jesus. And when he said, I'm not, I left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you my spirit. And my spirit is going to guide you and lead you and direct you. And he's still doing that today. Second is trust God with your incompleteness. And third is to pursue God faithfully. Pursue God faithfully. James 4, verse 8, it says, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. God says, if you take a step towards me, if you're not sure what it is, and you take a step towards me, you take a step towards being honest about your struggle, God's going to move towards you. And God's going to come towards you. God says, I don't need you to figure this all out. And I might not even explain step two to you. But will you take step one in whatever this issue of messiness is in your life? I know this time of year it's really, really hard. Because of what Tim talked about last week. The messiness in our relationships. But I hope that you are saying, God, what is the next step you want me to take towards these people that relationally, it's just a mess right now. 
It's just a mess. And that you're willing to trust God and take this step, not looking for an outcome, saying, God, I'm doing this because you gave me the nudge to do it. I don't really know what's going to come out of it, but I'm doing it because you gave me this nudge. I have some family members that I don't ever hear from, and I don't know why. I don't think I'm a mean, nasty person. Um, but I don't hear from them at all. And God just gave me this nudge and said, I want you to take this step toward them. And I'm like, okay, God. I take this step. Nothing. Nothing. Like, I want you to take this step. I take this step. I wait. Nothing. Really hard. Really hard. The truth is, that's what God's nudging me to do. And I don't know what He's nudging you to do. But I hope you're being open to hear from Him. I hope you recognize that we're all a work in progress. And that part of these steps that you are taking is part of God working in you to make you more like Jesus. And that's the gift that He wants to offer to you today. As we close this morning, there's a couple things I want you to walk away with, just as a quick summary. The first is, don't keep your messiness to yourself. Don't keep your messiness to yourself. You know, we have this joke in our house that, you know, I want all of your mess in your space, you know, not in my space, I want it all in your space. Close the door and stay inside there, you know. But God says, I don't want you to keep all your messiness to yourself. He says, I want you to admit it. Admit where it's, life's hard right now. Do you have two or three guys? Do you have two or three guys? Ladies, do you have two or three ladies? Students, do you have a couple close friends? They know what the messiness is inside of you. And not because they're trying to fix you and make you perfect, but they're just there because they're realistic about their own messiness. And um, when someone shares their messiness with you, um, don't gasp, that's bad. Don't try to fix it. That's worse. Um, just thank them for their willingness to trust you with it. Pray with them. Just try to be present with them. And I know for some of you that's going to feel weird or hard, but just try to do that. If you're in a small group, and I hope you're in a small group, we're going to have small group opportunities next month for you to get plugged into a group. Um, just say to your group, this is my area of messiness right now. and I just need you to know it because I don't want to be in it alone. I don't want to be in it alone. And then some of the other things that I've said this morning, just a reminder to thank God for that, to, to seek outside help. Sometimes your messiness, you can't take care of that yourself. You've got to get some help. A trusted counselor, a therapist that can walk with you in that. Trust God and obey God's next step for you. You know, as we think about this being Christmas, in Christmas season, when God came down to this earth, He came down to this earth because of and for our messiness. That's why He came down. And so as we listen to this last song, it's a song that we know that we've sung before. I just um, invite you to listen to it. If you want to sing along, feel free to do so, just to remind us of why God came here with the birth of Jesus.